Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. That's why I always say date rich. Like if you have the chance, you might as well. Uh, Bridgerton made a really good point. Like the only chance that you really have to change your like social status or your financial status is through dating. Not now, back then. (laughs) I know, but it kind of applies now. (laughs) Welcome to Crush the Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Kirsten Lyons and I'm joined by my cousin and co-host, Erin Raiderstore. Okay, this week's episode with Christina is like- It's so funny. She has this comedic timing that I've never- She's so funny. Before. And she has this echo in her room and she has this very contagious laugh. Like it is, it, it goes on for a while. It's so funny, but in, <laughs> in the like echoing room, it sounds a little bit like an evil genius. And I love it <laughs> so much. She's, she's so open. She's so honest. She just, is, she lays it all out on the table. And then wait, what were you saying? Oh, she has this kind of joke at the end about her son. And I don't want to give it away because I won't tell it nearly as well as she will, but I have been thinking about it nonstop. It was in the section where we talked about like the self-control you need as a parent to not fight your kids' battles, essentially. Oh, (laughs) and that's actually when I was like, "Hmm, I need to journal about that because I don't have that for for two reasons. I don't have that because I love being right. So I think I would just step in just to like be right (laughs) in a situation, but also like, I don't think I could stand by and watch someone like navigate that situation. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, we've talked a lot on the show about childhood wounds and how childhood wounds can affect who you are, how you obviously, how you handle situations. And especially as a parent and Christina is a mom, she's a mom of two boys. And we've had a few moms on this podcast. Obviously I'm a mom and even like you're a camp counselor. And I know I'm sure there have been instances where things you don't may not even realize, like when things trigger us and we're like, oh, I'm definitely, this is like my inner child coming out right now. And I am not handling this well. A hundred, hundred and ten percent. Yes. Yeah. I find that, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I find that with Ellie and I feel terrible now that I've realized it, but like she'll want to wear something or be silly or whatever. And I really want to like protect her from getting bullied. So I'll be like, don't wear your hair like that. And I did it with my sisters too. And I'd be like, oh, don't do that. Or we'll do this. And it's, it's for me, it's, I'm trying to control that their pain. Mm-hmm. which is like not fair. They have to live their, have their own lived experiences. I can say this is what happened to me, but like I'm trying to control their pain because ultimately if I'm being honest, I don't want to feel my own childhood pain being brought on by seeing them in pain. Yeah. And who knows? Ellis could wear her hair in a silly way or wear two different ma- mismatching socks and not get bullied. It's a new day. But also I think we're learning from Crushed. Like, although that was horrible that you went through that, I feel like, it gave you the presence of mind to like, you know what? Maybe that moment was worth wearing these two mismatched socks. And now maybe I know what to say as an adult, if someone says, you know what I mean? Like, Ooh, I like that. Yeah, no, I think that's true. It's an interesting thing to be someone who was rejected so much and to have that be your identity for so long. And to now as, as an adult, okay. So pretty much there was somebody in my life that called me a reject from like day one. They were like, Hey, reject, you're a reject. And I realized through therapy and through other stuff that that was my identity. I, w- I wasn't wanted. I was a reject. I was dumb. I was whatever, gross, ugly, stupid, whatever. And 
that word held so much power. And it's interesting as I've like begun to heal from that and begun, first of all, begun to acknowledge it, then begun to heal from it. I'm okay to take that on. That's not my identity, but it's a part of who I am. And I'm actually like, I'm really proud of how much I've been rejected instead of running away from it, which is what I did for so long and tried to prove I wasn't a reject. I've actually like pushed into it and just been like, okay, ultimately I can't change what happened. I'm going to accept it. Now, what can I do with it? Kind of a thing. Speaking of that, we got an incredible direct message late last night on, um, and it was just like, oh my gosh, I, it's from somebody named Jackie. I asked if we could share this. Um, she said, Hey there, I apologize for the long message. Never apologize. We love long messages. Have you not heard our podcast? We talk so much, but I just wanted to let you know how much I love your podcast. And then she put three exclamation points. She said, I feel like I'm sitting with friends talking about the hard parts of life and encouraging each other all while having fun. I just wanted to say that your podcast, specifically Claire's episode, she is one of my friends, has really made me reflect on my own crushed moments and this has led to deep healing. Her question, who were you before you were hurt, made me really think about when my first deep rejection was. If you had asked me to talk about a crush moment, I would have said the first guy who ever really broke my heart. But I realized my real crush moment, moments really, and where all of my wounds stem from are from my childhood. It led to much deeper healing for me. I just wanted to thank you. I started listening to your podcast for a fun convo and helpful advice, but I wasn't expecting to have such a profound self-realization. God bless you both. That's so nice. You sent me that last night when I was going through, I was going through it last night. It's a long you've story. Had, you've had a rough couple of what days, weeks? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> days, weeks, months, months years. <laughs> It was really nice to hear. And it was nice to hear. I don't know what I'm trying to say because I mean, it's always nice to hear when people like something you create mm. always, but I think it's, I took that as like, I really like what you personally add to this creation, you know? And I was like, thanks. It's really nice to hear, mm. you know, there's purpose in this, you know? And yes. yeah. And I think, also, some, yeah, I was going to say, it's also interesting how many people say like, they think of their crushed moment as, um, you know, their first romantic heartbreak. But then when they really think about it, it was rooted in something so much more. Mm. I think we have that same thread kind of coming up with an episode. I think that'll be in the next couple of weeks. But that realization, like someone just putting that out on paper there is so interesting. And that how common that is for everybody. You mm. know? I think also I was just thinking as you were talking, like, by people, by the guests we've had, by us, you and I sharing our, not only our crush moments, but times we do things like I'm thinking about was the last week when you said like, I give people, or a couple of weeks ago, I give people presents so they like me or whatever. Yeah. I think us being so honest is giving other people permission to not only like be like, oh, me too, but yeah. also like to be honest with other people. And I hope this has a ripple effect in with the people that you're around. Not only, obviously we want you to share this podcast and hopefully you know, our community grows, but also like, I hope within your community, you sharing and you being honest, really quick story. Uh, the other day we were, um, we live in a, this playing community. It's really cute. It's across from these movie studios. It's really cute. We have, oh, it's a little bit of like an almost cult is how I would describe it. Like, I think you're just, you guys are just like one strong leader away from a cult. <laughs> uh, so anyway, and it's going to have a, it, we, you know, we really wanted a walkable area with shops and restaurants, but we also really wanted Ellis to kind of have built-in friends. And there's a lot of kids around here. We live in the apartments. There are very beautiful 
rather large homes as well as this homes of all different shapes and sizes, but a lot of large homes. And there were one of the women that worked for the home builders saw me and the kids out. We were playing. There's like hammocks here. I mean, it's a, it's a very idyllic, cute little place. She was like, Oh my gosh, I haven't met you. Did you guys buy a house? Like a house that was already built or did you buy? It? And I said, Oh no, we, we didn't buy a house. She's like, Oh, are you thinking about building? I was like, Oh no, we, we moved into the apartments. She was like, Oh, um, well, you know, I work for the builders. We'd love to build you guys a home. Like, oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, I don't think we're going to be building right now. And she's like, oh, why not? Like, we, uh, I think you're really going to love it here. And I go, oh, we can't afford it. It's too expensive for us. We can't afford a house right now. Her face was so shocked. It was so, so honest. She was like, I've never heard anybody say that. I'm done BSing. I can't afford it. And that's okay. And And I think the more we say it and we're just like, open about it and we don't try to sugarcoat it, the more we're giving ourselves permission to not feel shameful. And the more it it's just like giving other people permission. I think especially in sales, when you're given like, here's your pitch, you're yeah. not taught how to deal with that one. You know, <laughs> like I think she said, I think as she was leaving, she was like, well, if anything ever changes, let me know. And I know yeah. look, she's doing her job. My mom raised me to be really confident about this kind of thing. But if you have notice that you're hanging out with friends and you're constantly finding yourself in situations like, oh, I want to hang out with these friends, but I can't afford to go to dinner where they're going to dinner. Be honest about that. Don't do the whole, I'll just get an appetizer and a water. If your friends really value your presence, they're going to find a restaurant you can afford. You know, they want to spend time with you. It has been so freeing for me to say like, hey, I'd love to go, but I just can't afford that tonight. Why don't we have a movie night and get pizza tomorrow? You know, suggest something else. And then it, It'll stop feeling, if it's something you feel ashamed about, it'll stop feeling shameful and you'll realize that people genuinely just want to spend time with you. They're not aware that the the situation is making you uncomfortable. I always think the caveat of, hey, I'm a little bit nervous to tell you this. Like if you are feeling a little bit nervous to tell someone, it's okay to speak that out. And I think that gives them permission to know you're feeling uncomfortable. So it's okay. They feel uncomfortable. I've always said to people, if they have a problem with me, but they're really nervous to tell me, you could just say, hey, I'm, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I just, it keeps coming up. Let me talk about this really quick, but I feel really nervous. So then I'm already in a posture of humility. I'm like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. They've been like thinking about this for a while. Yeah, let's talk about this. I totally agree with you. Oh my gosh, in LA, there were so many times I just was like, well, if you want to go, you can pay for me, but I can't afford that. Yeah, I think that might make people uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not going to suggest that. By the way, they didn't. They were like, okay. <laughs> Wait a second. We didn't even talk about Anna Ferris and Chris Pratt. Why would we talk about Anna Ferris? Because Anna Ferris came out on a podcast. I don't think it's her podcast. And she was saying basically like, I didn't have anybody to talk about my issues with Chris because we were creating this image of like this like perfect Hollywood couple. From what I've gotten, she never really talked to him about her, what she was feeling. And she never really talked to other people because she felt like she had to create this insular thing, which kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. Like when you don't tell people what's going on, like, hey, I can't afford this. Could we do a movie night or whatever? It's like what that what that creates um, in that relationship, whether it's friendship or romantic relationship, partnership, whatever, business partnership. I hope this podcast gives you permission to be honest in a loving way, but be honest, not only with other people, but also with yourself. Yeah, I think anytime you continuously feed a delusion, it's going to mm. get out of hand. So yeah. even though she, you know, she might not have been honest with him, but it probably sounds like she wasn't even really being honest with herself. Yeah. And that's so guys, why you shouldn't get married. 
Well, I 100% disagree with that, but I also believe you just shouldn't get married to get married because that's also a terrible thing. We can talk about this later on Crush the Podcast, but right now, (laughs) meet Christina. I'm sorry. My sister is calling me like I have time to talk to her. I'm in the middle of a crushed interview right now. What do you want? Oh, Courtney called me last night and I didn't answer. And now Kylie's calling me. (laughs) And now is it Christina Guerrero? Guerrero. Uh Okay. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right. Or I mean, you can say Christina Guerrero if you would like, but no, Christina Guerrero works. (laughs) I will never be able to say that, but I feel very small and without talent right now. She's a mommy to a seven-year-old Mateo and one-year-old Sebastian, but in her spare time, she's on TV. With over 20 years of television experience, Christina has interviewed some of the biggest names in Hollywood, like George Clooney and Sandra Bullock as a host and correspondent on E! News. Currently, Christina is the host of the syndicated lifestyle show, The List. Check your local listings. It just launched an IG live series called Garage Mom, where she hides from her kids in the garage and talks to humans that don't require her to cook their meals or wipe their bottoms. Welcome, Christina. <laughs> Yay. I'm so excited to be hanging out with you. I'm so, so excited, excited to have you. The most important question we may ask you in sync or Backstreet Boys. In sync 100%. There it is. Um, there it is. I'm so excited we're doing this. <laughs> such a huge fan of In Sync. Always was a huge, like everybody loved Justin, and I grew to love Justin, but instinctually, JC Jaze was my guy. Oh, he was the best. I, he was my, he was my guy. I swear to you. He looked at me at the first concert I went to. Obviously. Also, I, I was that. very, very far back, but I'm pretty sure. He <laughs> You're like, there was a connection. Yeah. Um, I will say that I actually, um, I mean, because of my, my work, I did end up meeting the guys and I interviewed Justin a couple of times, Justin, like we're on a one, <laughs> like on a first name basis. When you um, first yeah, said me Justin. My mind went to Justin Bieber when you first said that. And I was like, I also have interviewed Justin Bieber many times. So yes, the many Justins, um, Aaron, Aaron's cheeks just got so red. (laughs) I mean, you know, my follow up is going to be, have you ever met anyone in one direction? God, I guess, I mean, I did because they were on the, they were on the scene when I was getting ready to leave the scene. So they were like the Jonas brothers were really big when I was, at E, One Direction. I, I don't know. But just definitely Justin Bieber. And I will tell you, because um, you're 26, so you can mm-hmm. love him. But I am 42. That is inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so even when I met him, he was like 16 years old. And I was like in my late 20s. Not okay. But he was super cute. But I will say, going back to Sync. So um, when I was an intern at um, in LA at um, Good Day LA, which is a local morning show over there, I got a chance to go to like this premiere, and here I am, like twenty years old, and um, and and Joey Fatone and Lance Bass were at this premiere, and I just about pooped my pants. <laughs> Not paid my pants. Pooped my pants. No, just kidding. Um, and so the guy that I was with, who was just a colleague that I worked with, he's like, let's go talk to him. I was like, oh my God, no, I, I could never, I could not possibly go over. And he dragged me over and he said, Christina, I wanted to introduce these guys to you. And they were, they were so kind and they were so gracious. And I thankfully did not poop my pants. It was just a really cool, like one of those, 
um, at 21 or whatever I was like, how did I end up here talking to the guys of NSYNC when I used to listen to them when I was in college? This is so crazy. All right. So 12 years old mash, was it going to be a mansion apartment shack or house? It had to be a mansion. Of course. Like who picks, who picks the shack? I lived in a shack. Like that's my childhood. Like the the house of the 10 Mexicans that I lived in, in my house was a small, tiny little, I like, I aspired for an apartment actually. (laughs) It would have been nice. (laughs) Um, Did you Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, share the bed with anybody? Oh, for sure. With my sister forever. I, yeah, I didn't have like really my own bed until I was well into high school. It was a, uh, it was a, twin bed that I took to college that I took to LA. It was like the one bed that I had, but no, we slept. I slept with my sister and, or my mom and, or on the couch, just depending on like where people like fell like to sleep (laughs) that night. Um, Okay. And who were you going to marry? So I was trying to, like, I had to dig deep too. And I was thinking, okay, uh, what age are we talking? Are we talking 12? If it was 12-ish, it was Jordan Knight. Thank you. Thank you. If it he was, also looked at yeah. me when he opened for see, NSYNC. We, see, I feel like we have this thing for like the brunettes because we didn't go for the leading man because Joey McIntyre was the leading man. I went That's for Jordan. Knight, and then I also liked a little Donnie Wahlberg, right? I liked the bad boy. I was going to say Donnie was bad. Donnie was like the bad guy. He was bad. Yeah. And still to this day, Mark Wahlberg is my hall pass. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. Now, if I go before six, if I go before 12 and I was like six, Alan Alda from MASH. (laughs) For Alan Alda. (laughs) I had a legit, I still have a thing for Alan Alda. And MASH, I'm like, that man is sarcastic. He's a doctor. He's tall. sexy. He is sexy. <laughs> oh no. Okay. How, do you, how do you feel about Don Knotts? <laughs> what? I mean, I loved him in Three's Company. So out of the blue, Aaron just goes, hey Kirsten, how do you feel about Don Knotts? And I was like, what? <laughs> I think I was... Aaron, you're an old soul to like have so much knowledge about Don Knotts. I'm impressed. <laughs> so you're going to marry Jordan Knight, maybe Donnie Wahlberg in a, in a feisty mood. And then yeah. uh, what were you going to do? Like, what did you want to be? Um, I wanted to uh, work in Hollywood on the red carpet interviewing celebrities. So like right on the nose. <laughs> Great job. And did you want to live in LA? Yeah. Always wanted to live in Hollywood. I had visited Hollywood um, once. I, I- Hollywood. Like it's 1930. <laughs> You're like, I want to well, live in Hollywood. <laughs> well, because when I first got to California, I ended up in Fullerton, which is not Hollywood, right? So like I look at a map because Aaron, there was these things called um, maps where you would like look at them <laughs> <laughs> like in a book, right? And so I see Fullerton and I, which is in Orange County, California. And then I see Hollywood. I'm like, oh, they're not that far. So that's like totally Hollywood, right? So I get there, I'm like, yeah, Fullerton is not Hollywood. <laughs> I need to get out of here and get myself to Hollywood. I thought I was going to go to Cal State Fullerton. I mean, that was a crush moment. I dropped. I like. I um, dropped out out of uh, the University of Washington in Seattle. I had a full scholarship to go there, and I was like, "Nope, I'm supposed to be in Hollywood." Again, thinking that Cal State Fullerton was near Hollywood, I was like, "I'm going to go there," and I get there, and they were like, "Nope, we don't have any. Um, we don't have you registered." 
you can't come to school here. But I'm like, I just like left, I like left my whole life behind in Washington to come to school here so that I could live in Hollywood (laughs) and you're not going to accept me. I mean, talk about um, that being a huge blessing in disguise because once I didn't get, get in there, I had to like reset. I, I mean, again, I'm like 20 years old. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm living in not Hollywood. And, uh, I get a job at red Robin, which (laughs) I love red Robin. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, exactly. And I ended up, um, at USC. So they're a loss. How about that? And you didn't have to take a rowing picture to get to USC. (laughs) No, I did not. I actually, it's kind of funny because I didn't know much about USC at the time. And, um, I remember telling some friends at red Robin that I was applying to USC and they're like, that's a really hard school to get into. And I'm like, okay. It was the only school that I applied to. And I was like, uh, that's the one I'm going to. So that's it. I always had like this very naivete now that I look back on it, but like very specific idea of what I wanted for myself and for my life. So when I said I wanted to live in Hollywood, working on red carpets, interviewing celebrities, it was very much like, okay, I want to go to the best journalism school. Um, that would be USC. So that is the school that I'm going to go to, whether it's hard or not. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. I, I mean, I was crushed when I didn't get into Kelsey Fullerton. I had to rearrange everything. And then it ended up being a, a bigger blessing because the opportunities that I got at USC were far greater than I could have imagined. Also, I just see this like opening in a movie and it's this girl with like suitcases and like on the side, it says Washington. And you're like walking up these steps to Cal State Fullerton and you're like, hi, I'm here to go to school for journalism. And they're like, what? And you're like, it's close to Hollywood. And they're like, we don't, yeah, we've already started. We, we don't have any space for you. And you're like, but I dropped my whole life. And then you drop your bags and they open and like clothes go everywhere. And Lights like, go up. Yeah. That's a movie I would watch. <laughs> well, it's a movie about your life. Um, okay. So when I asked you, uh, what is your crush moment? I really enjoyed the, I just loved, should we do my debilitating panic attacks and imposter syndrome? <laughs> And I really wanted to write back. I'm like, well, welcome to Crush the Podcast. We love panic attacks and imposter syndrome here. Um, which it's we can so totally- funny, Afterwards, I was like, I want a fun one. I want a fun crush moment. I don't want to be like sad and people feel sorry for me. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. But I do, everybody's going to be like, uh, you talk to George Clooney, shut it. But I do think it's one of those things where- I think what's so great about that is sometimes people have this idea of what their life is supposed to look like. And so when it doesn't look that way or they, they don't work for a while or whatever, it's, they feel like they failed. And I think that I love when people tell their stories, like what you're about to tell. Well, and I think some of it, some of this, the, the really heavy debilitating panic attacks, imposter syndrome actually goes hand in hand with my bigger crushed moment. Yeah. Um, so, so I can talk about that a little bit. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So as I said before, it was my lifelong dream to be on red carpets interviewing celebrities. And it was, um, I thought I was going to be on entertainment tonight. It was all I dreamed about. Were you a big John Tesh fan? talked about. Big John Tesh fan. <laughs> Obviously, all of the, all of the music uh, yeah. that he put out, <laughs> Mary Hart and those legs. I mean, come on now. <laughs> I remember being like in, in, in like, like a senior in high school and them saying, um, who inspires you? And everyone's like, my mom, my mom. I was like, Mary Hart, obviously. <laughs> 
and my mom too, but you guys, Mary Hart, like she's the deal. Um, so it was my lifelong dream to be working in Hollywood. It was all I dreamed about. It was all I talked about. And I got a lot of pushback from the people in my community, people that I would tell, um, not just my community, people in my family. You know, I was just this, uh, this small town girl, uh, brown girl who didn't come from a lot of money, whose mom was on welfare. Um, she was a single, she was a single mother of five on welfare. My dad was an alcoholic and he was um, in jail um, most of my life. And we didn't always have a place to call home. And so here I am, right, with all of these circumstances and all I see are like bright lights and and movie stars, probably a little of my, you know, just trying to get out of my own reality. Um, but I'm like, I'm moving to Hollywood and I'm gonna interview celebrities and I'm gonna be on entertainment tonight. And <laughs> people, would, people would laugh at me. Um, and it wasn't just the community, it was like family. They were just like that, sorry, that doesn't happen to people like us. It's not gonna happen. Um, but I was, I just had this, I, I now attribute it to a God-given um, fire that was, that was like, there's something bigger out there for you and you're supposed to use your voice. Right. And I always laugh. I'm like, did God say, Christine, I want you to go to Hollywood and interview celebrities? Like he, I don't know. I don't think of him as a pop culture enthusiast, but I mean, who knows? So, I mean, I mean, so, Je Jesus does love the Biebs. So he's got fever fever. So. He, he does have fever fever, right? right? So, um, but whatever it was, I was like, I'm going. And so, you know, I I was 19 and I packed up. Like I said, I left my my world in Washington. I was like, I'm moving to Hollywood. And I worked and I worked and I worked and I was eye on the prize, eye on the prize. And by the time I was 20. Two, 23, I just graduated college. I was on the red carpet for Access Hollywood interviewing Jim Carrey. And then um, I went off to do a couple of more TV things, but full circle, right? I'm 28 years old, 26, 27, probably 27. Um, I get the dream job. I get the phone call that's like gonna change my life. And, and that is that I am gonna be working at E! News as a host and correspondent. I'm gonna be on red carpets interviewing big, huge celebrities, um, everyone from George Clooney to Brad Pitt and, and Justin Bieber and <laughs> Selena Gomez. And, um, and I mean, just the best of the best. And I'm like, how in the hell did I end up here? This is so crazy. Like, how does a girl have a dream? And then it freaking comes true. What? Like, this is insane. I was there for six years. And I mean, I had, I had the time of my life. I got to meet the most interesting people, work with some amazing people. I got to travel. Um, and then there was a change in management right at the very end for me. And this executive producer had called me into her office and she's like, you're cute. And, but I don't, she didn't mean it like in a, like Kelly Ripa sort of. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't like, you're cute. Like Kelly Ripa, we like you. And she's like, you're cute. And I'm like, thanks. Now, mind you, I had worked with her prior as it, when I was an intern. So she knew me as Christina coming up. Right. So, um, she's like, you're cute. Uh, I was like, okay. She's like, I, I want something more. I want you to watch other people that are on the show with you and see what they're doing 
and maybe give me some of that. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't really know what to make of that. Now, at, by this point, I, I had insecurity issues, right? Like everybody has. I had imposter syndrome. What the hell am I doing here? People are going to find out that I'm not supposed to be here. Which by um, the I way, had- like, I feel like, ev- I, I don't know if other businesses have this, but I feel like everybody <laughs> in our business has this. Like everybody, <laughs> like, I remember reading Michael J. Fox's first book years ago. I mean, this was like 20 years ago and him talking about, he was like, every day he went to work on Family Ties. He was like, today's the day they're going to find out I'm bad. And like, yeah. they're going to fire yeah. me. And you're like, you won Emmys. Like what? Like everybody. The best of the best. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I, you know, so I had all these insecurities anyway and never really felt like I was supposed to be there. Right. So now as she's telling me this stuff, I'm like, "Mm -mm." I'm like, I'm the best correspondent that you have. I'm Mm. the first Latina on your network. I'm not going to act. I'm not going to be anybody other than who I know to be that's all I know how to do so who you see on your tv is who I am in real life like I don't choose a character that I'm going to be especially as a tv personality right like I'm not an actress I can't act like somebody else um and and so you know it just didn't it just didn't jive and she was making decisions and my contract was coming up and it was like yeah this isn't I was like I only know how to be me I only know how to be me. And so, so my contract, we didn't renew my contract. And I went off and was like, you know what? It's all good. I'm going to give myself three months. I just had a baby. I'm going to take three months off to gather myself. And then I'll get picked up like that. Cause I, I, I was really good. And, um, I did really feel like I was an asset and, and, and then the phone didn't freaking ring, <laughs> didn't ring three months went by. Um, six months went by and I remember calling my agent, um, Kenny Lindner, um, and oh, I said, yeah, Kenny, you know, Kenny, well, no, yeah. I know we have a friend who's at Melvin Melissa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yep. So she's also my agent, right? Yeah. So she does my day to day, but Kenny's been with me since I was an intern production okay. assistant. Like I met him, I met him super early on when I didn't even have a TV show or didn't have, I was literally still in college when I met him and he's like, right. I like you. I'm going to make you my pet project. And I was like, okay, still to this day, like he'll call and give me a pep talk every once in a while. Melissa is my, I, I mean, I adore her. She's my friend and um, we do, we do day to day, but I called, I talked to Kenny and I said, Kenny, no one's, no one's calling. He's like, don't, don't worry. Like, you know, you, you've got, you know, you've got this. And I was like, Kenny, was that it? Was that my run? Like, was, was mm. that it? And if it's, and if that was it, like, wow, what a ride. Like some people don't, like you were saying earlier, you know, yeah. like some people don't get their dream. I got my dream, but I'm not ready for it to be over yet. And he's like, I promise you it's not over. I'm like, pinky swear. So three months turned into six months, turned into a year turned into a year and a half. And then I had an opportunity. I mean, how is this? I'm calling my agent all the time and I'm just like, okay, what's, what's out there? What's next? What's, you know, and I'd gone out some auditions and stuff, but nothing was sticking. And I went on this um, audition and I got it and I didn't want it. And I was like, Mel, Melissa, I was like, Mel, you're probably going to kill me, but I keep asking you for this opportunity. And now an opportunity presents itself. It's not the right one. It's in my gut. It's the right one. And she's like, let's keep looking. That's a was good, a, that's was a good it, teammate right there. Was it naked and afraid? Hosting naked and afraid. <laughs> or dating in the dark. <laughs> or sexy beach time. I just made that one up. You're welcome. <laughs> 
Um, I see that happening. Oh. <laughs> Let's see if we can pitch that as a show. <laughs> oh, bravo. <laughs> It's so interesting because once I let go of the control of it has to happen, it has to happen, it has to happen, it happened, right? The right opportunity came to me, which is the list, which is where I am now. So just how I met you because Bradley and you hosted the list. And I remember you coming to the audition. Well, I wasn't there, but Bradley talking about you because he talked to Mel because Mel was like, hey, I want to talk to you about this because I have a client that, you know, is close or whatever. What are your thoughts? And then I remember you coming and Bradley coming home and being so excited about you. He was like, Oh, she's so fun and like funny. And she's so good. And like, we just riff off each other. And he was so, he was like, like, you know, all of the fingers crossed for you. We had, yeah, we had the best time. And I will say once I, um, and this is kind of going out of order, but when you and I met you and you and Bradley and, um, sweet little thing, she was like, three yeah she was a big and she went by ellie yeah she didn't go by ellis she's the artist formerly known as ellie i still reject the ellis name chain (laughs) (laughs) she's very sophisticated these days with ellis yeah but she was ellie when i knew her but anyway you we went to the federal pizza and you and i talked nonstop. And poor Bradley was just like, picked up the check. And then like, <laughs> I was like, Ur. but yeah, it's so interesting. And do you guys like talk about like spirituality on this show? Oh yeah. People talk, I would say 70 to 80% of our people talk about God. You're good. Okay. Okay. Um, because, and I mean, I would talk about him anyway, um, or my spirituality, but I will say that I had become so tightly wound. So my identity had become my career. And now if I didn't have a career and people didn't want me, then what everybody had said about me, right? The imposter syndrome, what everybody had said about me as I was growing up, that that doesn't happen to people is now like manifesting itself for me. Like, I'm like, well, shit, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not supposed to do this. Maybe I, it doesn't happen to people like me. And that was a fluke. And now here we are two years later. See, nobody wants me. Yes. Right. I'm not good enough. In those moments, were you ever kind of resentful for standing up for yourself and saying like, I'm going to be me. And if that's not good enough, were you ever kind of like, damn it, I should have just been like everybody else. <laughs> I, I should have just been vanilla. No, because I really didn't know how to be anything but me. You know, I, I just, it just didn't feel authentic to me. And I always did feel that the reason I was successful and that people did like me was because of my authenticity, not trying to be like anybody else, you know? So I think there were probably times in our initial meeting when she's like, you should try that. I was like, well, shit. Okay. Maybe I'll try. And then I remember doing it and just being like, well, that was terrible. That felt yucky. That didn't feel anything like me, you know? So, um, I'm just not that good of an actress. But yes, do I wish I had done things differently? 100%. Do I wish I had stood up for myself more? Yes. Do I wish that I had said, um, you know, uh, because I was so insecure during that time, I don't think I fought for a lot of the things that I, that I felt that I deserved because I was like, I'm just lucky to be here. Right. I'm just lucky. to And I, and I felt that. And now I go back and I'm like, where was that like spunky 22 year old who walked in to an audition and was like, look, I'm going to be a star. If you want to come with me, then you can come with me. And then I ended up getting that, that gig, you know, like I wish I, I wish I had some of her moxie and um, I'm getting that back. Like, or I have been getting that back for the last few years. And it really, in, in, 
and identifying the fact that I had by my work and proving everyone wrong that I did deserve it. I mean, that was just, I, that was just me spinning constantly. Like people are saying, no one cared, but people are saying, I told you so. I knew she wasn't good enough. I knew, you know, all these. And it wasn't until I, on a fluke, found God. (laughs) My son was going to a Christian nursery school and I was like, I could really use the discount here. So I, if you become a member of the church, (laughs) you can get like a 50% discount on daycare. I was like, I knew that scam worked. I knew it. (laughs) I was like, okay. So I go to church. <laughs> hey, I'm still a bargain shopper to this day. So I go to church and I just, it changes the trajectory of my life. Um, mm. I find God, I find faith, I find letting go. Um, and I still use that to this day. And literally, I'm before the opportunity presented itself to come to Phoenix to host the list. I was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Once I let that go, like the opportunities just like presented themselves. And even I was like, Phoenix, I got to want to be in Phoenix, but let's go to Phoenix. And I, we've found so much happiness here on top of the fact that I get to do a show that I absolutely believe in and that I love and work with amazing people. And, um, and it, and, and going back to that conversation with my agent, Kenny, um, it wasn't the end. It wasn't the end. There's so many things I love about that, but I think, you know, a lot of our show is about letting go and and realizing mm. we don't have control. And I think that there's like, it's actually so freeing to be like that. And so many people on our show have talked about identity. I mean, we talk a lot about like, this is kind of a value and worth podcast without us. That wasn't what we set out to do, but we're realizing as these people are talking about these crush moments, how much we put our identity in different things. And, you know, mm. I bring him up all the time, but Henry Nowen, who I love, he talks about, we we put our worth in what people say about us, what we do or what we have. They're always up and down, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't control any of those things. And so if we live by our, if our value and our standards are what people say about us, what we have or what we do, it's never peaceful. It's always in flux. And that is Mm -hmm. like, you know, the, like, the hormone receptors are just all over the place. And I think that's what leads to these imposter syndromes, which I, you know, it's so funny that you say that because when I moved out to LA, I was the exact same way. I was like, you better get on board because I'm going to be famous. Like I'm the next, <laughs> I'm the next Jody Sweeten. But uh, yeah. Jody Sweeten, you're welcome, America. But, you know, and at that point, I was really more like Jennifer. I remember like, you know, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I had like an opportunity to maybe get a recording contract. And I was like, no, no, I came out here to be a, a sitcom actress and I'm going to be on a sitcom. And wow. And so sure of yourself, right? So sure of myself. And in, in some ways so good. Cause I look at, I look back and there's no way I would have gotten the little bits of crumbs in the beginning that I did if I hadn't been so sure, but then it started to break me down and it started to break me mm-hmm. down in, in exactly what you're like, what are you doing here? And, and I would hear all those voices and it's never going to happen or whatever. And then it was like, it's true. It's never going to happen or, or it didn't, you know, that, that was a fluke. I remember thinking that after I had not worked for like a year or something. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I resonate with so much of what you're saying. And also this idea of, I think God knows what he's doing when he takes things away because our value and our identity is so put into it because ultimately we're going to be a wreck. 
it wasn't until I had realized my dreams and gotten to this point where like, oh shit, I did it, um, that everything kind of started falling away, this kind of facade that I had, this uh, this person that I had created, this uh, of, of enthusiasm and happiness and confidence and determination. And those were certainly all things that were, were me, but there was still this little girl that was that was hanging out inside me still listening to the things that had been told to her over and over again, right? You're not good enough. It doesn't happen to people like you. Um, you'll be back. Um, you're not good enough. Those things. And, and she and I really kind of had to have um, a heart to heart where she was like, Hey, like, this is all great, but I'm still here and I could really just use some help. And so I've really kind of just in the last several years since that, um, have, have just been working through that with, and I know you guys do therapy. I feel like my church is my therapy. I feel like I'm very introspective. Like, you know, I, I just, and so I just feel like that's, and also I medicate. <laughs> I, Which is so medicate. important. <laughs> if you need it, it's so important. <laughs> I medicate uh, like a, a doctor's dose of antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> And all of the things together um, are helping me be a better person and more importantly, a better mom. We've talked about this. I know we talked about it on our episode with Claire. Aaron, tell me if they're, but we've talked about kind of the little girl and healing that little girl. And I think that um, it's, you know, one thing my therapist said is she said, um, as you become a mom, you can, um, you can take these moments to, see the little child and, and, and actually love that little child. Mm. That was really powerful for me. But I think also like acknowledging, I love what you said about, I had to acknowledge that little girl was in there and it was, she was deep inside. And, you know, we, we put these defense, it's, it's our survival mode, right? Like you had that confidence, you had that, all that you had to do it to survive. But, but at some point the survival mode is going to crack. But what I love about what you're saying is you're like, I know that little girl was in pain. And I know that little girl was listening to those voices. And ultimately I think what, you know, it's funny. I remember telling someone years ago that I was going to therapy and they were like, why? I was like, because I've realized that I may have like, you know, process some things, but I didn't really actually like feel them and like actually mm. like heal them. And the person was like, why would you, that was like 25 years ago. Why would you do that? And I was like, Cut, uh, he was like, it's over. And I was like, no, no, it's actually like informing everything that's happening right now. And I love that person that is a sociopath. They sound healthy. <laughs> yeah. I'm worried about them. <laughs> They're not I'm what I would about call. That person. Yeah, I wouldn't call that this person um, <laughs> in touch with their emotions or mentally healthy. Ah! <laughs> it's my Was mic. it your mic stand? My mic stand. My mic stand is pissed right now. <laughs> Side Whatever. note. Yeah, I'll just say while we're sorting this out. Uh, okay, I just remembered ahead. my first night out in LA when I moved here in June because the times I'd been here in the past, I wasn't 21 yet. Um, I saw Lance Bass out at a bar and I was like, is this what it's always like? <laughs> they also let him break all the COVID rules. So it was just him standing in the middle of the floor dancing, not having to stand at his table. Cause you know, the rule is you couldn't leave your table. So it's just like this bar and he's just like, <laughs> just by himself, just sipping a drink. He's been, he's been at that same spot since 1998. 
Probably. He was at, he was at Rocco's, West Hollywood. So probably. Oh, that's really funny. So what was the, what, what was I saying about this person? Going back to therapy and this person was like, heal, you needed to, you don't heal, need to heal. heal. And, yeah. yeah. And this person was just like, you don't need to heal. And I just, it wasn't even that they were saying you don't need to heal. It was that he was saying, let it go. He was saying there's nothing to heal from. That was in the past. And I was, that like, was then. Right. And I'm like, no, no. It's in four, like that little girl is still there. And that little girl, whether I want to admit it or not, is helping me make a lot of choices that probably aren't great. And yeah. And now they're affecting your kids, right? Yes, like that's yes. the other part. And I, there's a really amazing therapist. Um, he is a trauma, like adoption informed therapist. He's an adult adoptee. I hope he'll be on Bradley's show, but I follow him. And he said, you know, not taking care of your issues. It can be a form of neglect to your kids. Mm. And I remember I was like, Oh gosh. Cause it's, it's totally true. Like I see myself with Ellis and, you know, I want to do her hair in the morning and I want to make sure she looks cute because I didn't and nobody did my hair and I didn't look cute and I looked rough. And I have to remember like when she wants to put on a crazy outfit that I deem crazy, I need to let her do that and not control her and not be like, but don't you want to yes. wear this? Cause I'm like, no, she has to make these choices and I have to let her have pain and let her go through these things. And like, I can't control the situation to make my little girl feel better. Like I have to let her go through her own. Thing. Yes. And that is my, hard. My biggest thing is, um, oh shit. Okay. I'm going to tell you guys this awful story about parenting, <laughs> but, and, and, and my little girl, right. My little girl. So, um, we had, uh, Mateo had a little friend over and he goes, Mateo, my house is way bigger than yours. And this coming from, like, I hear this and I, there, there's a little girl in there who like didn't have a home and didn't have nice things and didn't have a bed and had welfare and food stamps. And I said, well, buddy, we have a pool and you don't. <laughs> he was like five. <laughs> that is the most human reaction I've ever heard. But I like moved Mateo out of the way and I was like, well, buddy, we have a pool and you don't. So what of it? <laughs> And I was like, oh no, I can't do that. That's that's me. That's Christina, that little Chris inside. <laughs> oh, oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's that. I'm so glad the audio is good on that because that was amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have been there. There was a little girl when Ellis was in pre-K that was like making fun. She was like, she was so mean. She was literally said to Ellis, like, you can't come to my birthday party. And then she'd be like, oh, the next day she'd be like, oh, you can come to my birthday party. I was like, is this real? This is real. Anyway, yeah. and Ellis is Ellis is a very, you know, emotional, sensitive, dramatic child, right? She's my kid. She's Bradley's kid. She's our kid. Yeah. And Ellis sometimes just like not want to play with anybody and just go over to the fence and sing to herself, sing to the flowers. <laughs> she would sing because she needed to sing about the tree or whatever. And she's four. Okay. It's not like she's 14. If she's 14, I'm concerned. She's four. <laughs> and so this little girl one time was just like, why do you sing all the time? Why do you do that? What's wrong with you? And I just... Ellis told me the story and I literally, and Bradley was like, you cannot go into the school. And I was like, I want to go to the school and tell this little girl she sings because she has an amazing voice and you suck. I've heard your voice. I've heard you sing Mary Hattel. My daughter has a vibrato. Shut it. But I was just like, <laughs> Bradley was like, you can't do any of that. And I was like, I know, I know. Yeah. But you can tell Ellis, um, well, she's a traumatized child and she has issues at home. 
<laughs> Here's the problem with Ellis, though. She Ellis mimics vocabulary, so she oh, will so then she'll go, she'll be like, explain <laughs> problems and be like, "That's okay. This is your trauma response," and then she'll just walk away. <laughs> so, so <laughs> Kylie, so Kylie, my sister Kylie, when she was in kindergarten, a little girl wanted to her to come over to her house, and my mom had said something like. Uh, there's not enough adult supervision, so you can't go over. Well, Kylie then fast forwarded that in her five and a half year old brain and told the little girl, my mom said, I can't come over because your family does drugs. <laughs> does drugs. <laughs> That's how she processed that. <laughs> anyway, uh, I had a point, but now I forget it. Well, whatever. I'm sure it was good, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. well. um yeah okay well that leads us into our wrap-up questions (laughs) oh all right okay (laughs) christina if you could tell your 12 year old self anything what would you tell her and it it doesn't Uh, have to be something specific to your crush moment just anything in general um i would tell her not to have a boyfriend in high school or college (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) and i had great boyfriends but don't, don't have a boyfriend in high school and college, um, or a long-term boyfriend in high school and college. <laughs> Did you have the same boyfriend, high school and college or two different, or I had one boyfriend different. from, yeah, exactly. No, I had one boyfriend all through high school, um, from like ninth grade until like my first year of college. Um, and then you guys voted cutest I had my, no, he was older than me. So he was like two years old. He was like upper class. Oh, excuse so me. Of course. It's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, uh, yeah. And then in, when I was in college, I had another boy, a long-term boyfriend, um, for like six years after that, I was like, what in the heck was I thinking? So I would tell 12 year old Christina not to have a boyfriend in high school or college. And, um, I would also tell her that she is good enough. Oh. What? is your crushed song. You guys remember when Nick Lachey put out his solo album about Jessica, Jessica. Simpson? Yes. I listened to that on repeat all the time on my CD. Oh. <laughs> it was like a CD. That black thing. and white video killed me. With What's Vanessa Lachey, his yes. future. Yes, but he didn't it, know. Is, yeah, P- was it Pieces of You? Is that what it was called? Yes, Pieces of You. No, no that's oh. her song. That's... Wait, hold, hold on. on. Stand by, stand by. My first boyfriend, who I like totally changed to be with, I was like 22 in LA. He wanted me to be Jessica Simpson. Like he wanted me to dye my hair. He wanted me to have big boobs. He wanted me to wear like the hoop earrings. I just, it's so funny. Like so funny when I look back. Yeah, I don't know. Jessica Simpson was always like such a weird person for me because I always felt like I was supposed to be here and I couldn't be her and it was just a weird thing that is weird yeah I thought you were supposed to be Jessica Simpson (laughs) 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 just like that's what he wanted like physically that's what he wanted like you wanted this and you were like you were not like you do not have blonde hair I don't have blonde hair I I did go blonde for a little bit I don't have I I mean my boobs are bigger now that I've had kids and stuff but like I didn't have big boobs I didn't wear hoop earrings I wasn't petite like she's really petite I just like I was looking back I'm like why were you with me like you wanted to like kind of change all these things about me it was just very weird but I remember I met his like high school girlfriend she came into town actually the weekend we broke it was oh it's like so many things the weekend like we were breaking up you have some crushed moments she like came into town guys 
she came into town and I saw her. She's like, I can picture her standing at their place and she has blonde hair. She's wearing big hoops. She has big boobs and she's petite. And I literally, I can't remember her name, but I literally was like, you just want me to be your high school girlfriend. Okay. Did your, <laughs> did your heart sink or were you like, oh, now it makes sense. The whole thing is weird. Cause he had a best friend whose cousin lived in LA. So his guy, best friend's cousin lived in LA and she was obsessed with him. He, he was not into her at all, but she hated my guts because we were dating. We had dated for like a year at this point. And so talk about like, uh, critics in your head and stuff. She made me feel so small. Like I Ew. remember one time we were at a party that went to go like dip and salsa spilled on this white carpet. And we were at somebody else's house and I was so embarrassed and I went to get paper towels and I'm like trying to clean up. And my boyfriend at the time, now granted also we have to remember he's like a 23 year old boy in LA. Like he's not the most savvy with like, he's a great guy now he's married with kids, but like he started laughing at me because all these other people were laughing at me. He didn't mm. go to get a paper towel to help me or anything. And she was like, what an idiot. And like all this stuff. And I just, <gasps> I felt so small. And I remember I was so hurt and I was so mad at him. And I remember he like, didn't understand why. And one of his roommates was like, are you an idiot? Like that's your girlfriend. That's the girl that hates her. And you laughed at her. You didn't like help her clean up. And he was like, Oh, I I didn't think about that. Ugh, boys are so dumb. Yeah, boys are dumb. Um, Aaron, I wanted to tell you, I wanted to tell you the name of the song. It's, um, oh, yeah. so it's Nick Lachey, What's Left of Me. The have playlist. you heard this? Uh, yes. I have not listened What's to this song. I was in the fifth grade, so I was 10. She's like, I wasn't conceived yet, but I was getting. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys hang out, how often does she remind you that you're way older than That's her? That's uh, you know, what's funny. <laughs> Not as much as you would think, because I still watch Disney Channel and I would watch it even if I didn't have a seven-year-old. <laughs> and and she kind of, yeah, we, we definitely meet in the middle. I didn't have any siblings at all. So her sisters and she were kind of like my closest people sisters yeah Yeah, kind of and so more so Kylie and Courtney I would say like I latched on to any tv shows or anything they talked about so Mm -hmm. there there's a little overlap there Uh, Christina thank you so much this is amazing I'm sure you know this because you're a host but you're an incredible speaker oh well thank you (laughs) (laughs) you guys are a hoot thank you guys so much for having me thanks for calling us a hoot Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, Don Knotts. <laughs> In the words of Don Knotts, you guys are a hoot. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.